I have it on the right setting? Am I? I'll just yell. That's okay. <laughs> Good morning. Uh, thanks to Pastor Rob and Pastor Mike for, for letting me come this morning and, and share the word with you. Uh, in the first service, Pastor Rob was talking about how he's preached on Good Shepherd Sunday so many times that it's hard to remember what he's already talked about. And I mean, he's been preaching a lot longer than I have, um, like a lot, really a lot. I had no idea it was that much until today, but <laughs> uh, but it's Good Shepherd Sunday, and, uh, and the readings center around this nature of our resurrected Lord as the Good Shepherd. The, the psalm assigned for this Sunday is, is uh, Psalm 23, with those beautiful comforting words about the Good Shepherd who is always with us. And and um, John's words in the epistle reading to Gaius and the church that Gaius is uh, worshiping at or, or potentially leading and encouraging the saints there that, um, that they are, as we just sang, a, a child of God. We are what God says we are, not because of what we do, but because of our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But then John goes on to say some very difficult things, things like you should be willing to lay down your life for your brothers or sisters in the faith. And by the time John is writing this, Christians have been doing that for several decades probably, as various persecutions would crop up and they would round up Christians and arrest them and say, well, we want you to tell us where your holy books are and we want you to tell us where your other Christians are and where the bishops are who lead. And many of those Christians, rather than betraying their brothers or sisters, they were imprisoned. Uh, they would be mutilated. They'd have their tongues taken out of their mouths. They'd have their eyes gouged out. Uh, they bore physical witness, and, and many of them died. Many of them went to death. So John doesn't use that kind of language lightly as he calls his listeners and hearers, which includes us, to obedience to who we are in Christ. And certainly there's only one good shepherd. There's only one Jesus Christ. There's only one incarnate Son of God whose death is perfect for all of us and who accomplishes in that sacrifice far more than any of our individual sacrifices could, but it's clear that we are to consider the necessity for individual sacrifice as well. Whether that's laying down our life for a brother or sister in faith, whether that's reaching out to a brother or sister in faith who's in need. That's a lot of heavy stuff on Good Sunday or Good Shepherd Sunday, and I'm just filling in, and so um, I'll, you can talk with Pastor Rob about that after I go. Um, no problem, yeah. <laughs> but... I opted to, to, as my bent is, I opted to look at the other kind of fly in the ointment that kind of goes without saying on Good Shepherd Sunday, but yet we, it's, it's with us all the time. Particularly if you, if you think about the 23rd Psalm and you think about the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He take, gives me pasture, he gives me waters, he guides me. He leads me and is with me to the very valley of the shadow of death and doesn't just leave me there but accompanies me through it and to the party on the other side. It's a very present shepherd. And in the gospel lesson for this morning, Jesus says something to his detractors, the religious leaders, who are irritated that in chapter 9 he restored sight to a blind man on the Sabbath. They were far more upset that he'd uh, healed on the Sabbath than they were celebrating the fact that this man could see again. Similar to the reading from Acts where the apostles are in trouble because they healed a man and the religious leadership had told them not to do that. Again, examples of bad shepherds, hired hands as Jesus refers to him in the gospel lesson. 
But then that, that fly in the good shepherdy honey comes in verse 16 in the gospel lesson where Jesus says, I have to go. He says to his enemies first what he's going to say and explain to his disciples in more length at the Last Supper in just a few chapters. He has to go, which may have been a relief to his critics. But he says that he has to go because of some gobbledygook about other sheep and for the religious leadership centered in Jerusalem and centered at the temple. That must have just been gobbledygook. What other sheep? Other sheep outside of the Hebrew people? Other sheep outside of the strictures of Judaism and the descendants of Jacob? That sounds crazy. Other sheep that aren't familiar with the sacrificial system or circumcision or any of the other things that the life of Jewish faith was bound up in. How could there possibly be other sheep outside of this? And I suspect that, that we might stretch Jesus' words slightly to say that perhaps there are other sheep that aren't even Lutheran. No, that's shocking. Shocking. But I, I, I hold to that this must be true. So he tells us that he's going to leave. He tells his detractors, he tells his disciples we're going to leave. We heard Thomas's insistence a couple of weeks ago that he wasn't going to believe in this nonsense about a resurrection unless he could touch the wounds. Stick his hand into the spear hole in Jesus' side and he's granted his request. And Jesus makes that rather challenging statement that you and I here today are far more blessed because we haven't had that experience. And at least in my experience, it's hard for me to take that at face value. It doesn't really feel like a blessing compared to what his disciples experienced. But he tells us why in this verse, why he's leaving. He's leaving because there's other sheep and he needs to bring those sheep into one flock, one fold. He needs to call to those sheep and he starts that process in his preaching and teaching among the people of God. He handpicks his apostles and St. Paul after them, commissions them for this work, promises them that when he is resurrected and ascended, that they'll receive the Holy Spirit, which is going to be just a whole kick in the rear of another level from what they've experienced with Jesus. Again, I'm pretty sure they would have argued with him at that point, just like you and I would, but he makes that assertion. It's far better that I go. But when I go, it's because there are other sheep who need to be reached. They need to hear my voice. And when they hear, when I call to them, as, as shepherds do in the Middle East, they don't poke sheep in the rear end to get them to move. They just call. And the sheep know them and go to them. Jesus assures his listeners that when he speaks, those people will know who he is. They'll respond. And the flock will grow. And this is always a challenging time of the year for me as we look at the readings because the one reading is always out of the book of Acts and it comes always after Pentecost. It always feels like we're jumping the gun. But I think that there's the understanding that what Pentecost is is based entirely on what Easter is and what the ascension is. And you can't have the outpouring of the Holy Spirit without those things. That's what Jesus tells his disciples. He tries to explain to them. So his hand-picked followers will be the first to bear witness to him in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and all the ends of the world, as he tells them in the first chapter of Acts. And when those men are martyred, when they die, the Holy Spirit calls other men and women to do that same task, to continue the work of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with sheep who need to hear it. 
Because of that, you and I, who probably don't have a real strong Hebrew background, we're gathered here today. And we're grafted into the rootstock of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, not because of our genetics, but because of the power of the Holy Spirit calling other sheep. And at some point in your life, you heard that call. And you said, that's my Savior. And you followed. And that's good. But I think we begin to get a little nervous there. It's, it's, it's easy to focus on the beauty and the blessings of who we are in Christ, who God has called us to be, to know that we have a room in his house. It's all true. It's a lot harder for us to deal with some of John's words about obedience, which are really just echoes of Jesus' words about obedience in, in John's gospel. But we're called to obedience, called to sacrifice, called to allowing the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. And I think this is where we get nervous because my theory is that in many churches, even Lutheran churches today, when we go through those lists of spiritual gifts, and Paul in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 13 kind of goes through and talks about some of those things, 1 Corinthians 12, they were all wrapped up in speaking in tongues. And they were like, this is where it's at. If you can speak in tongues, that's the bomb. That's great. And Paul's like, you know, don't fixate on that. As Lutherans, we don't make a big deal about speaking in tongues usually. Don't deny it. But it makes us nervous if it shows up in church. But we have elevated another spiritual gift, I think, and that is the gift of evangelism, the gift of witnessing to others. And we've kind of put that at the top of our list and said, that's the best thing. And everybody needs to do that, just like the Corinthians thought that everybody needed to be able to speak in tongues. And we have lots of well-intended programs. We have all sorts of things. The uh, a woman on your evangelism committee was in the first service and came up to me afterwards and said, I'm on the evangelism committee, and I kind of ducked because I didn't want her to hit me. But, uh, but she was very gracious. Because we've placed this guilt and this burden on our people sometimes through programs and, and this idea that everybody's got to be witnessing to somebody else. But that's a burden that Scripture never places on us. Think of St. Paul. You think about this, this original missionary's missionary, this original evangelist's evangelist who goes all over the known world, suffers unbelievable difficulties, all to be able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he never once calls out his hearers and his readers and says, why aren't you out here with me? Never once criticizes their lack of faith in following his footsteps. He's quite the opposite. He never shames them. He knows that his work Speaking the gospel to other sheep in other places is only possible because of their support of him as they remain at home in Ephesus, in Corinth, in Philippi, in all the different places that Paul has visited. Not everybody is called to be an evangelist. We know this in our hearts, but we sometimes feel guilty that we're not. Paul, I mean, certainly... We're told that we need to be ready to give an answer. When somebody comes up to us and says, why do you have hope in Jesus Christ? Why is this your hope? We ought to be able to articulate an answer within a reasonable amount of time that's going to convey some of the basics that some of us have had since Sunday school. Jesus and love, all those easy answers. That's a big difference between that and packing up 
and moving to another place to speak to sheep in a different language, that they might hear the gospel and respond to their good shepherd. Nor does it mean that everybody who remains behind can breathe a sigh of relief and say, not my bag. Paul makes it clear that they have a role to play. He can't do his work unless they are supporting him, if they are, unless they are encouraging him. And so he's going to say to the Philippians as he wraps up his letter, he's going to give them thanks. He says, you know, I'm well supplied. You sent Epaphroditus to me and he brought gifts from you and I have what I need and I am so grateful and blessed because of your support. At the beginning of his letter to the Roman Christians, he says, I'm coming to see you and I hope that we have a mutual blessing which I think means I'm going to preach to you and, and we're going to revel and, and delight in who God has called us to be. But I also hope that you're going to equip me with the things I need to continue my journey and my mission work once my legal issues in Rome wrap up. Paul's not the only voice on this either. If we go to the, to the opening chapter of 1 John, which we read out of the third chapter this morning, John's going to compliment Gaius and his congregation for opening their hearts and their homes to strangers, wandering preachers and teachers coming through en route to other places to share the gospel. And he says, you welcome these people and you cared for them. And it's a beautiful thing. So the Holy Spirit of God continues to work. He continues to work by calling new men and women into service in this way. He doesn't call everybody into the same way. We have that, that whole language of the body of Christ and different people having different gifts. That's really serious stuff. We have to take that seriously. And so my family and I believe we've heard the Holy Spirit's call to leave a loving congregation where I've served for the last 11 years in Santa Barbara, literally paradise, almost as nice as Camarillo, beautiful weather we've decided that the Holy Spirit is calling us to leave all of that so that we can speak to other sheep and we can't do this by ourselves and so we go out and we share the story and it's really easy to share it because I don't stress about it one way or the other I don't, I don't think about it in terms of okay well we're, we're preaching at peace today and boy we need to get 15 people and this and that and the other that's the Holy Spirit's job not ours He'll provide. He'll call to you and speak to you and say, yeah, this is something you can do. Or he won't because he has something else that he wants you to do instead. That's fine. We don't go alone. We go to move to the country of Indonesia to live in Maidan, this is a beautiful, well, hopefully beautiful city, on the coast right across from Malaysia and Singapore. I'm called to be a, a theological educator, a resource for the entire region of Southeast Asia, which includes Papua New Guinea and Vietnam and Laos and Cambodia and Thailand and Malaysia and Singapore. We're called to live in one specific part of Southeast Asia and to learn that language and to love those people. Not to be missionaries, as you'll hear if you stick around for the Bible study afterwards, but to let the light of Christ shine through us as we interact with our neighbors and we go to the markets and do things like that. Holy Spirit is working. That flock that Jesus talks about is growing every day. You're not going to hear about it on your news feeds, but it's growing every day. The Lutheran Church has missionaries and, and church workers deployed all over the country, over 150 of them, serving in Latin America, serving in Eurasia, serving in Southeast Asia, serving in Africa, 
speaking the word to these other sheep. You read about it, if you, if you dig, you read about things like Germany where all of those millions of refugees from Syria years ago are settling and they're hearing the gospel for the first time. And even though they've been raised all their life under Islam and under the command of obedience, when they hear the gospel, they recognize their shepherd's voice and they come and the flock is growing. So we're figuring out what our role is in this. We'll be figuring it out probably for the next several years. I encourage you to think about and pray about how God may be calling you into this as well. It's not a pressure thing. Don't get to brag because we're going overseas and living in, uh, on the equator where it's roughly 90 degrees and 90% humidity year-round. We don't get to brag about that. We don't have to be excited about it either, but we'll do it. The Holy Spirit calls us in different ways, equips us in different ways so that the work of Jesus Christ that he alludes to there in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago continues to go out today. And we think back to the readings that we had from John chapter 20 in the weeks following Easter when he appeared to his disciples in the upper room on that first Easter evening. And he says, receive my peace. These men who are terrified that the same people who killed Jesus will kill them. He says, I give you my peace. It's not the peace of the world. It's not the peace of politics. It's not the peace of economics. It's not the peace of of." responses to pandemics. It's a peace that is unlike any other source of peace that we scrabble after in this world. And it's a peace that he promises will keep our hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus until life everlasting wherever the Holy Spirit and however the Holy Spirit uses us in the meantime. Amen.